Good morning, everybody. I want to start today with just uh, a few signs from the land of the living, which we are moving back into here in uh, Colorado. Friday, I was at uh, Panera Bread. I often go there to work on my sermons earlier in the morning, and uh, I saw something I hadn't seen in 11 months. There were dozens of elderly people in Panera Bread enjoying the morning out together. And I actually heard two ladies as they hugged and embraced each other because they hadn't, they're old friends that hadn't seen each other in 11 months. And I got to witness their reunion on Friday morning. And the things that we used to take for granted are really, really special. And so um, I'm excited to see many of you feeling more comfortable. Uh, another sign of the, from, sighting from the land of the living is last night in this room, we held a wedding. Yes, it was great. Many of you know Brenna D. and John Stewart. John Stewart's on our staff here. He started coming to Cornerstone as a freshman at CU, stuck around, joined our staff. Brenna was uh, a part of our children's ministry many years ago. Their family moved away, and then she moved back to Colorado, and they met and fell in love and had a great wedding last night in reception. Land of the living. It's great. For the Carluccis, joy is as close as the last competition. Friday night, Cole wrecked two wrestlers. In his last two matches of the regular season, we're very excited about that. Take great satisfaction in one person's victory and another person's defeat, but that will never change. So no matter what you say or how you judge me, it will never, ever change. But uh, great sightings, and it's great to see all of you. For those of you watching at home, we're glad that you're joining us, or if you listen during the week, it's great to spend some time together worshiping hearing the scriptures, just being together, things that we often took for granted, uh, we, we now have great appreciation for those things. I also wanted to just continue to welcome many of you back to Cornerstone and back to groups. We have more going on this month than we did back in January, and we have more planned in March and April than we do this month. The idea is as more and more people get vaccinated, more people feel comfortable connecting again. We want to keep giving you opportunities to find places to serve, groups to join. And so that will be very intentional over the spring here at Cornerstone. I want you to be reacquainted with your church. And in a couple weeks, we're starting a new series on the book of Nehemiah called A People and a Place. And the idea is, is just as Nehemiah and all of those that were working with him, they were building a wall, but they were doing more than building a wall. They were rebuilding a community that had been scattered and separated. And so we have the same work to do. And I hope that you'll be a part and you'll take that seriously. Um, Our church's presence in this city and in this county is really important. And so all of that, you know, the thing about Cornerstone, we've always been built on our relationships. And so the more and more we can connect, uh, the stronger we become. So I want to keep inviting you into that. Now today, I'm going to move along in the letters of John. And so if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've talked through the, the letter of 1 John. We spent several weeks on it. And if you remember, it's a simple letter. John is presenting a faith that flourishes, and he says there's two main things that allow your faith to flourish. One is that you join yourself to Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. You believe everything he said about himself, and you continually give more and more of yourself to him. And as you do that, something will happen. You will become a person who is willing to love others, including your enemies. That the ultimate sign that your life has been touched by Jesus is that that you are a person that loves. And so over and over again in the book of 1 John, he shares that simple message. And the thing about 1 John is it's a general letter written to just a a great big group of churches. 
As John wrote that letter, I can imagine him thinking that this letter would be passed around from house to house, from city to city, and people would be encouraged to not be deceived, to trust in other false messiahs, or to trust that there's any better way to live than to live a loving life. I can imagine him passing that around. Now, for the next two weeks, we're going to take you through 2 John and 3 John. They're really short letters, and they're very different. Even though the same tone comes out, Jesus is... And we are, those two messages, uh, 2 John and 3 John, are both personal letters. In the letter we're going to look at today, 2 John, he's actually writing to a friend of his, a faithful female leader. We don't know her name, but John writes, uh, what we're given is his personal correspondence with her. It's a friendship. And so this is a much more personal letter. It wasn't meant to be shared, and for some reason it got uh, passed down through the ages and became part of our scriptures, and we enjoy it today. Now, what I want to do with 2 John is I want you to notice some of the lessons that are in here about leadership. So we could talk about a number of different things, but I think the message the Lord has for us today is understanding what a leadership that flourishes looks like, uh, what it takes to have healthy leadership. So I'm going to take you through five insights that we find in this really short letter. It's one chapter, the whole book, but five insights into leadership. Now, before some of you check out and say, all right, I don't need to listen. I'm not a leader. Okay, I understand that, but I want to challenge something about that. So we can think of leadership uh, different ways. One way we think of leadership is those that have positions of authority, those that have official responsibility. So our elected officials are examples of this, leaders with authority and responsibility. I have a position here at Cornerstone as the lead pastor. I have authority to do certain things. I have responsibility. Those positions we often equate as leadership. But if you look at the teaching of Jesus, who was the greatest leader that ever lived, remember him? He had all authority, yet he emptied himself of all of it, and he came and was the most influential leader that ever lived, and that's the key word, influence. And so another way to think of leadership is not as authority, but as influence. And influence is greater than authority because it's something that can continually increase, and you never have to lose it in your life. I believe every one of you has influence. Which means in some regard, we're all called to lead, at least in a certain direction. And what would that be? Well, those of us that are with Jesus have been given the vision of the kingdom. We have the blueprints of God's great big plan of restoration. We have vision. He's given us the Holy Spirit to bring about influence and move things in that direction. And so God has actually given us the very things that we need to do to influence, to lead in place of Jesus together. Now, let me illustrate the difference this way between authority and influence. I've done this before, but I think it's very helpful. This comes from um, Jonathan Sachs, who was the former chief rabbi in England. He's a brilliant man. He's recently passed away. He said, authority is uh, a zero-sum game. If I have authority, it means someone else doesn't. Someday when I don't have the authority of my position, it'll be passed to somebody else. And it's like this. It's like a pot that's full of water. And for that authority to be passed to someone else, one pot has to be emptied into the other. Okay, we understand that, right? Influence is different. Influence is like a candle that lights another candle, that lights another candle, that lights another candle. That's the teaching of Jesus around leadership for all of us. It doesn't doesn't decrease, it only increases. And so um, I'm just going to speak to a room of leaders now that we've established that. Influencers, okay? 
All right, so saying all that, let's read this whole letter. It's one chapter, 13 verses, and pull out some of these leadership insights. Verse 1, to the elder, or the elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in truth, and not, a, only, not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Messiah, the Father's Son, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am writing you a new command, but one that we have heard from the beginning, not the one that we have heard from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because there are many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and an antichrist. So that's one of those themes from 1 John, right? The warning about these false teachers. It says, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for but that you may be re rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Verse 12, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, sends their greetings. All right. So you see the personal correspondence there? The family, the sister, the children. Many different things. Of course, there's this warning here of this false teaching, believing that Jesus is anything but the incarnate uh, presence of God in this world, that God has shared himself with us. But there are leadership insights, and here's the five I want you to see. First of all, character and gifting are the requirements in the kingdom of God for leadership. Number two, leadership flows or should flow out of our deepest relationships. The third is that every leader needs encouraged and appreciated. Number four, leaders need to be challenged and led. And lastly, leaders need personal connection. And we see that at the, as it ends, that he desires to be with her face to face. I want to go through all of these. The first three I'm going to spend a lot of time on. This first one, I'm going to spend most of my time on, okay? Character and gifting are qualifications for leadership. This includes leadership in a church. Look how it starts. To the lady chosen by God and her children, whom I love in the truth. And he continues to talk. And what he's saying is he's speaking to a woman who most likely is pastoring a church that's meeting in her home as most first century churches did. This is a lady that perhaps is leading at the highest level within her church. There's mention of those that are following her. There's mention that she's to be careful that they don't let false teachers into her home, into these meetings. She is the keeper of the community. There would be no warning about all these other things. There would be no instruction about keeping certain people away if she didn't have some degree of authority and certainly influence over this spiritual community. Now, this is a big deal because today within the church, there is a conversation going on about how is it that we choose who has what positions of influence and authority. 
And what I think John is showing us here is that character and gifting is the primary way in which we choose our leaders. Not the, the loud person, not the rich person. If you go even further, you could see that age is not a requirement for leadership within the church. This is Paul's message to Timothy. He was a young man. He said, keep leading, keep using your gifts, keep influencing. Because he had the character and the gifting to lead. But you could go so far to say that gender is not a requirement for leadership within the church. All right, so that particular subject I will just let some of you in on is a giant can of worms in a church. I want to describe it to you. I want to help everyone understand why it is. Um, We don't have to look down on people that think differently. One of the great things about Cornerstone is that we can disagree about things that we have strong convictions in. There are some people that believe that certain positions within the church are to be held only by men. And the idea behind that is not that men are more capable, but that as men and women, we've been given different roles because of our gender. Now, this goes against the message that's take, that we're hearing in a, in a steady way in our culture today, and that is that there's nothing special about being a boy. There's nothing special about being a girl. And that's the exact opposite of God's design. God has filled the world with his feminine beauty and strength through women, and God has filled the world through his masculine strength and beauty through men. And there's gifting in that, and there are roles. Now, those that believe that certain positions like an elder or the top leader of a church, the reason they believe that is not because they're just mean people or men trying to hold on to power. There are certain passages in the Bible that affirm this. And I want to show them to you, even though this is not my view. Okay? Titus chapter 1. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe. And it goes on. You get to Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Choose an overseer. It's the same word for elder. A man who is faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, and it goes on and on with other qualifications. Okay. So those two passages in particular are the reason that many people believe certain positions like pastors and elders should be held by men. I used to believe that. So I'm sensitive to people that go after people that have this view. We have men and women in our church at Cornerstone that believe this based on these passages. But if we are really, really honest, we'll also see that there are other passages that affirm women leading at the highest level within churches, such as the book of 2 John. This woman leading, protecting a flock, a church that's meeting in her home. And so before we judge, you know, other people with just our modern sensibilities, we need to know where certain belief comes from. There's many people that are just doing the best they can to make decisions based on what they see in Scripture. But I would say to those that uh, study Titus and Timothy, that you also study 2 John. I would also ask that you study Priscilla in Acts chapter 18. She is a prominent leader in a church that's meeting in the church of Ephesus, or in, in the city of Ephesus. She happens to disciple some of the most prominent male disciples that would come in the years to come. An incredible teacher, incredible influence. And so I would say that there is this reality that exists that both sides could make a case from Scripture that they're right. So that's where the debate is. 
And over the years, this has been a divisive subject within the church. And uh, I certainly am not trying to, to create division here. I'm not trying to be provocative. But as a church, we have been having a conversation as elders about opening up the top levels of our leadership and basing who it is that gets to lead at that level, that it comes from character and gifting and not other things. I certainly see that both groups can make a case from Scripture, but what I think that does is it makes us humble with our convictions. There's a lot that we know. There's a lot that we don't know. But I certainly see it is allowable within the Scriptures that, that women would lead at every level within a church. And so that's elders. That's why we're moving in that direction. I can tell you that this has not been a fight. I want you to know your pastor for the last three years has been advocating for this. We're taking our time. But it has not been a fight within our elders. We have not made complete decisions yet. We don't exactly know what we're calling it, but we wanted to take advantage of what's right here in the passage today to talk about something that we've been talking about and to let you in. Now, I also say that because for those of you that this issue is really important, most of you don't care, okay? But for those of you where this is, this is really important, and I know, I know who you are, all right? <laughs> I want you to come talk to me. We're not drawing a line in the sand. We haven't, nothing is, is determined, but this conversation is moving in a certain direction. And all of our elders are open to having this conversation. But we want to be up front with where we are as a church. See, what we see is we see the power of men leading as men and women leading as women together as something really powerful. You know, one of the sad things today is that a lot of times when women get promoted into leadership, they're expected to lead like a man. They're different. They bring different gifts. They see things that men don't. And one of the things that I hope for Cornerstone is that we would have men and women leading all of us together. Um, there are many examples of men and women in their partnership and leading and changing the world that I could bring up in history. My very favorite, I often tell you about, is William Wilberforce and Hannah Moore. So William Wilberforce is someone that many of you know. He's the character in the movie Amazing Grace, the book Amazing Grace. He uh, was a, a man who came to faith at a, in his young adult years. He ran for parliament. His faith began to transform the way he thought about politics. And he became the most prominent upfront advocate for the end of the slave trade in the, in the British Empire in the 18th century. And right before his death, that was actually accomplished. Uh, Wilberforce did a number of other things. He advocated for the liberation of women. He, uh, uh, many of the things he was doing were the beginnings of uh, the recovery movement. Just incredible work. But he didn't do it on his own. He was a part of a group called the Clapham Group. And this is a group that was made up of men and women. And one of those women was a lady named Hannah Moore, who happened to be a world-famous at the time playwright. Hannah Moore should get more credit than she does for the end of the, or the ending the, the slave trade because she wrote a poem called Slavery that at the time many people believed was the most read poem in history, if you take it outside of the poems that are in the scriptures, the most read poem in history, and many credit her for using her art and her language to help people empathize with slavery and, and, and persuading the public to change their mind about the slave trade. So it's a partnership, and, and they continue to lead this movement together, and they use their different giftings and character, and there were other people there. There was uh, uh, Charles Simeon, who was an incredible minister and preacher. Charles Grant was the chairman of the East India Trading Company, and that was an organization that was guilty of many uh, crimes against humanity during that time. 
And there was repentance in his life, and he became an advocate for all of these things. But they worked together, men and women. So that's one of many examples. So I wanted to say that because I want to open the conversation up about gender and leadership in our church as we continue to move and and make decisions as elders. But I don't want you to lose track of the real point here. The real point is, is that character and gifting is the qualification for leadership, not just in the church, but it should be in the world. Isn't that what bothers so many of us about politics? Character and gifting is the requirements for leadership. Nothing else. And so whether it's Deborah in the Old Testament, who was the spiritual, political, and military leader of Israel, or whether it's the young man, Timothy, who's leading this new movement in certain churches, character and gifting is what makes a leader. Number two, leadership should flow from our most important relationships. I love that in this letter, John mentions this lady's family, I think three different times. And the idea here is is that you can't separate your authority and your influence from your most important stewardship and responsibility, which is your relationships. So if you have a family, it starts with your family. If you're single, it starts with your your closest friendships and, and your extended family. But one of the problems is that today many people get preoccupied in their responsibility and their leadership, and they neglect what matters most, which is those most important relationships. Did you know that your leadership is meant to flow from your life-giving relationships? Many of you might think, not think this is a big deal until you've been around somebody who was sacrificing their family on the altar of success or career, right? Then you see how ugly it is, and it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's not congruent with what it means to be a leader that's leading out of character and gifting, Pastors are notorious for being available to everyone else and never their own family. We often take the influence that we have outside of our home more important than we take our own marriages. See, leaders get the first things first, and those are their personal relationships. Um, A book that we read as a staff a few years ago is called Emotionally Healthy Leadership by Peter Scazzaro. And this week I went back and reread one of the chapters called Lead Out of Your Marriage and Your Singleness. And listen how he describes the, 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 the impact that these things have. And this is where leadership should start, is out of those relationships. Speaking of the vows and dedication that we have, he says this. But we do so in different ways as marrieds and singles. Married couples bear witness to the depth of Christ's love. The vows focus and limit them to loving one person exclusively, permanently, and intimately. Singles, vowed or dedicated, bear witness to the breadth, the breadth of Christ's love. Because they are not limited by a vow to one person, they have more freedom and time to express the love of Christ to a broad range of people. He goes on to say that these are the things that leaders should take the most seriously. These should be priorities. Look how he's even just bringing this out. Verse 3. It gives me great joy to see that some of your children are walking in the truth. Like that's the affirmation of a leader right there. Your family. You're connected to your family. You're, you're working through conflict. Uh, you're, you're helping people flourish. He, he brings this out. It's not lost on John that this lady takes her family very, very seriously. I'm, uh, I'm in a fire group 
here at Cornerstone. It's a thing that our men's ministry does. We, we ask our guys just like, you know, um, really organically just gather some other men together and form a group and you get together around a fire about once a month and you talk about life. It's not really an agenda except to be there to support one another. Um, you could come up with whatever content you want, but it's men filled with the Holy Spirit gathering together in Jesus' name to support one another. My group meets about every six weeks, and when we meet, we meet for like five or six hours, and we're really, we're able to go deep. Our group formed around a shared affinity for leadership. These are guys that are all in different leadership positions, have companies, doing different things. But we spend almost every hour of every meeting talking about our families. And I love that about the group. I love that we, we have a guy in our group that a year and a half ago came in and said, you know what, my wife sent me down and said she doesn't know if she wants to be married to me anymore. And I need some accountability and I need some help. And I was so glad that as leaders, that's what we talked about because this is someone that understands that we lead out of our deepest relationships, our most important relationships. That was a leader that needed a firm that you're doing the right thing. And uh, I can tell you we met this last week and he had a great report. His wife is now happy with him. Now, of course, it's much more important than that. But he's doing the work a leader does that often people don't see because it's not often public. It's at home behind closed doors. But leaders steward their relationships. Let me give you a few questions that come up in emotionally healthy spirituality as just these are, these are reflective questions on whether or not you're putting your outside influence ahead of your, your, your relationships. As a leader or influencer, your highest priority is to build effective and successful organizations or to be successful, where we give our best time and energy to achieve these things, but at the same time where your marriage and singleness are not as important and treated as secondary. So simply, are you giving your best time and energy to your relationships, or to the things that you're called to do? When making a leadership decision, do you consider how that might impact your marriage or your relationships? Are your relationships primary or secondary when making decisions? The third one, do you believe that as a leader you need to get as much training and equipping as possible to improve your skills? Most leaders I know do that. But do you also believe that your relationships need training or equipping? Or do you only go to training and equipping in your relationships when things are, un are unhealthy or in a crisis? I have a, a mentor who about three times a year, he and his wife go to marriage counseling. And he said, the best time to go to marriage counseling is when things are going well. It's an investment. It's a chance to grow. They read a book on marriage every year. Great example. Here's the last one. As Christian leaders, are we as concerned about the marriages and closest relationships of our employees as we are their work? See, leadership in the kingdom of God is very, very different, and we lead out of these relationships. And we see this affirmed here as he's talking about this lady's family. She's someone that's taking what we need to take very seriously. I've never met someone that regrets spending more time with their family. Let me tell you a quick story. A few years ago, I went and took a class in New York City. I was there for nine days, and it was the, the, the most amazing class I had ever taken during my master's program. And we spent time with different pastors, extended period of time, like Six hours, eight hours, and we would sit and we would just listen to the things that they had learned in ministry. 
But one of the questions that kept getting asked of all of these different leaders, and there are people like Tim Keller and Jim Cimbala and, and a, a Chinese pastor who had planted 40 churches to the Chinese diaspora all throughout the world. Another guy that now pastors a church called Plymouth Church of the Pilgrims, which is one of America's most famous, uh, important churches in history. So we were spending time with all these people, and we'd ask him, we'd say, what is one regret that you have? And every one of those men said, I didn't spend enough time with my family. And they all said, I thought my work was that important, but it wasn't. Every one of them. So we lead out of our relationships. Number three, leaders need encouragement. Leaders need appreciated. Leadership at times can be lonely. And so I like what John says. He's he's saying, this gives me great joy to find that your children are doing well. He's encouraging his friend here. Leaders need encouragement from peers. They need encouragement uh, from mentors. They need encouragement from those that they lead. They need appreciated. One group that I'm concerned about right now in uh, our community are our principals. They have an impossible job. Overwhelmingly, uh, families in our school district want their kids back in school. This was the case back in July. The opinion of teachers was divided about going back to school. So you have these principals that are in this spot, and they're being told what to do by an administration that's also in a tough spot. But those poor principals can't win, right? It's impossible. And so I have uh, great respect for them. I'm praying for them. We have several principals here in our church that are trying to do their best. There's no pleasing everyone. But now is the time to appreciate these people. I can tell you, I know with certainty that many of them have thought about quitting more than once. Leaders in our lives need appreciated. And so I wonder, when is the last time that you actually told someone who's providing some leadership in your life that you appreciate them, that you're grateful for them? Here's a challenge. This week, choose two people and call them up, send an email, write them a note, and just tell them what you appreciate about them. It will not be a small thing. I can promise you that. Anyone that's in charge of any other person during COVID is feeling lonely and tired and worn out. And encouragement and appreciation, it's a spark. It's like another flame on that fire or log on that fire that helps it burn longer. Your encouragement is really important. I think John's trying to encourage this lady. She's going through some challenges. He's like, you're doing a great job. It gives me great joy to see what's happening with your kids. Look what you're doing. Look at your impact. So let's be people who encourage great leadership. We need this from one another. We also need this from the Lord. And, um, you know, it's not here, but I'll add it. It's not right here in the passage. But, of course, I think this is a woman who has a deep um, commitment to her time with the Lord. One of my favorite passages in the Bible about leadership has to do with Moses and the Lord on one of the many times he went up to the mountain to hear from God on behalf of the people. This episode in Exodus chapter 34 takes place after the first set of tablets has been broken out of anger. Moses threw them down. Remember the people were unfaithful to the Lord and doing things and Moses went down, he was angry, threw the tablets on the ground. When you get to chapter 34, this is what it says. It says, Lord speaks to Moses, cut two pieces of stone like the first ones and I'll write on the stones the words that were on the first ones, which you broke. He reminds him, you broke them. (laughs) 
this used to be a nice couch before you spilled Kool-Aid on it. <laughs> the stones that you broke. But this is what it says, verse 2. So be ready in the morning. Come up to the mount. Be ready in the morning. Um, come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and stand before me. Other versions say, come up the mountain, present yourself to me on top of the mountain. No one is to come up with you. Do not let, let anyone be seen on the whole mountain. So Moses, one of the most incredible leaders that has ever lived, over and over again, climbed a mountain to be alone with the Lord. And not just alone with the Lord. I love the translation that says, present yourself to me. That's what God tells him. Openness, vulnerability, authenticity. There's no hiding before the Lord. So he says, come up the mountain and present yourself to me. This is a leadership moment. He goes right back down, begins to lead the people. One of the most important times in history. But the Lord says, hey, you need to take some time in the morning. You need to climb the mountain. You need to present yourself to me. This is what happens to leaders when they spend time with the Lord. Two things happen. First of all, we're humbled. We hit a knee. We bow our hearts before the Lord. We need that. We need reminded that life is not about us. But the second thing that happens is the Lord lifts us up and he affirms us. And he speaks encouragement into our, our, our hearts. And he reminds us that he'll give us what we need to keep going. There are a lot of leaders right now that feel empty and tired and lonely. You need encouragement from others, but you need that time with the Lord. He will give you what you need to keep going. All right, I'll go through these last two quickly. Number four, leaders need to be challenged and led. So the job of a leader is to continually grow and to learn. Many years ago, I was told leaders are readers, but really the idea behind that is leaders are learners. They are refining their skills. They understand that they themselves have gaps. There's flaws within our own character that need work. All of these things. And so if character and gifting is the requirement, we take those two things really seriously and we continue to grow. One of the things that has occurred over the last 10 months for any leader is they have been tested like they hadn't been before. So COVID is very unique. And um, there are many different opinions. And you're worried about people's physical health. You're worried about people's emotional health. And so being in charge of just about anyone at this time is really challenging. Those of you that are parents, you know the th worries you have about your kids. And it's not just how they're doing with school. It's how they're doing personally, the things they're missing out on. This has been a season of growth for leaders because the gaps and the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities that we all have have been exposed for some people like never before. I know leaders who were so confident in their skills before COVID and during COVID they said, I don't know what I'm doing at all and I think the best thing to do is to just quit. It's exposing, the pressure is exposing. But this is where leadership comes in from other friends. They need led through those challenges. They need challenged. You know, here at Cornerstone, I hope you know you have, the staff we have here is amazing. They get asked to take other jobs, other places all the time. And for some reason, they stay. And I'm just very grateful. My number one job is to keep them here as long as possible. That's my number one job. Don't trade that quarterback, that kind of thing. Keep them. 
during COVID, uh, we asked our staff to shepherd people who are not doing well for a longer period of time than we first expected. We asked our staff to be available to people over and over again. But these are people who have kids at home, whose kids aren't doing well, whose spouses are worried about their jobs or their businesses. They're frustrated with what was taking place. I mean, it exposed a whole bunch in all of us. My, my, my breaking point came in August. <clears throat> That's when I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. We all took our turns doing badly here at Cornerstone. One of the ways I felt like the Lord led me is he said, I want you to make sure that everyone is okay not doing well. Give everyone space to be doing crappy. You can have your bad week. You can have your bad day. You can have your bad month. We're all going to go through it. And, and we're all going to be here together at the, on the other side of this. But this is an opportunity to grow because this is exposing and so right now, your staff is going through an exercise where we're looking back on the last 11 months and we're reflecting on our losses and our wins. This is the beginning of growth. We're reflecting on all of those things. And then we're moving to the next step is we're moving towards restoring any relationship that has been damaged during this time. We're being challenged to move out of these losses into a healthy place we understand that we're not really able to lead until we grieve our own losses, and so we're doing all of those things together. But leaders need led, they need challenged. So always be open to that. We see it here in the passage, look what he tells her. He's encouraging her once again. This isn't a new command, but keep loving one another. He gives her instruction, he said, hey, it's okay for you to push some of these people away. She needs instructed that it's actually okay that everyone's not doing okay. There will be people that shouldn't be a part of your community. So he's giving her encouragement. He's giving her leadership, and she's most likely going to follow. I believe that she would take John's words very seriously, and it was going to be helpful. He's going to help her be unstuck. All right, number five is just a simple one. I'm going to say this one quickly because Aaron's going to pick up on this next week. But leaders need personal connection. So this connects to that idea of relationships. Look what he says. I could write you more, but pen and ink will not do. A phone call will not do. Zoom alone will not do. You know who knows this? Our teachers. As kids are coming back into the classroom, they're seeing what's happening. They've known this all along. Kids need to be in that space together. So leaders connect. They spend time. They share a warm smile. They share a hug. They cry together. They laugh together. They do things together, and we need this. We're simple beings. We need personal relationships. We need that connection, and out of that joy comes the leadership that God wants to use in our life. All right, so those are the five. Um, they're all, all over the place, but they're all here in this passage, and it's kind of like a life of a leader. They're constantly dealing with different things and different subjects. And so take one or two of those, apply those to your life this week and see what God would do as he brings about greater influence in your life.
All right, I want to close by just praying a prayer blessing on all of you. So let's stand together. And if you're at home, please stand as well. And I want to bless you today. I want to bless your leadership. I want to bless your influence. So you might want to just open your hands as a posture of receiving. Let me just remind you that the Lord wants to use you. Let me remind you that the greatest power in the universe rests in you, that you've been given the vision of the kingdom, that he gives us all that is required for the tasks that are in front of us. And you are meant to be a light, you are meant to be a well to the people around you. So let's pray. I bless a life of integrity in you with an increase of God's light and life. May you lead out of your transformed character. I bless the unique way that God has made you, your gender, your stage of life, your losses, your victories, your gifts. May you lead out of God's empowerment. I bless your closest relationships, your marriage, your relationship with your children, your parents, your friendships. May you lead from a deep well of joy that comes from being loved and loving others. I bless you with courage, courage to keep leading, to keep influencing, to keep taking responsibility. May you lead knowing that although others may not always see and appreciate what you do, God does. I bless you with humility to follow. I bless you with good mentors and above all, the leadership of God. May he give you what is required for your task. And lastly, I bless you with personal connection. May you lead others with quality time, a smile, a hug, shared moments. And so, Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for this, this short uh, book that you've given us in the scriptures. We thank you for the insights and leadership. I pray that you would increase our influence as a community, and especially right now, while people continue to ask questions, people continue to struggle, people continue to be divisive and not doing well, I pray that we would be a different way that you would use us to bring light and life into people's lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.